Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies and Liquidware. And in exciting news, there's a new sponsor to the podcast. From this week forward, Policy Pack will be kindly sponsoring the podcast too. If you're not familiar with Policy Pack, Policy Pack software provides total settings management for applications, desktop, browser, Java, and security settings for Windows endpoints. The Policy Pack software suite enables IT professionals to deliver lockdown and remediate settings for desktops, laptops, VDI sessions, company devices, as well as for bring your own device. Settings can be controlled either via on-premises systems, including group policy or SCCM, or using cloud systems such as Policy Pack Cloud or an MDM service like Microsoft Intune, VMware Workspace ONE, or Mobile Iron for a few examples. Policy Pack manages and protects over 2 million Windows endpoints across on-premises, cloud-based, and MDM deployments. And if you happen to be in Ireland on September 19th, you can register for the upcoming Irish Citrix user group. And I will actually be there doing some demos of Policy Pack as they're sponsoring that event and have asked me if I would present the product on their behalf, which I'm more than happy to do. And I'd be happy to see you all there. If you want to register for that event, I will share a registration link with this episode, which is episode 88 on 5bytespodcast.com. And now some news. WindowsLatest.com reports that Windows 10 users have been noticing high CPU usage after installing KB4512941, which fixes stability issues with Windows Sandbox. According to the report, the CPU usage is related to an updated version of Cortana with searchui.exe generating the CPU spikes. If you install this patch and experience the CPU usage issue, you can remedy the problem by either uninstalling the patch or via a registry change. The reg change appears to be a per user key though, so that may require pushing via policy or a different deployment product that can execute in the user context. If you are interested in looking at the route of the registry fix, I will include a link to this article that contains the registry under reference links for episode 88 on 5bytespodcast.com. You can also see it in the video version of the podcast on YouTube. AWS had a pretty eventful holiday weekend in the U.S. According to a report by the register, there was a power issue at their U.S. East 1 data center. Power reportedly went out and the backup generators failed. Some cloud-hosted volumes were destroyed and had to be restored from backups where possible, so some data was lost in this event. A lot of very reputable people in the community have been tweeting about it, and it appears AWS have issued an update themselves. The update states, quote, We want to give you more information on progress at this point and what we know about the event. At 4.33 a.m. Pacific, one of 10 data centers in one of the six availability zones in U.S. East 1 saw a failure of utility power. 
Backup generators came online immediately, but for reasons we are still investigating, began quickly failing at around 6 a.m. Pacific. This resulted in 7.5% of all instances in that availability zone failing by 6.10 a.m. Pacific. Over the last few hours, we have recovered most instances, but still have 1.5% of the instances in that availability zone remaining to be recovered. Similar impact existed to EBS, and we continue to recover volumes within EBS. New instance launches in this zone continue to work without issue. If you listen to the podcast each week, you may recall me covering a similar story of a power outage in an Azure south-central U.S. data center in Texas. That one was caused by a storm. Personally, if I lost data from an event like this, I'd be pretty pissed. But at the same time, I guess in the event of a very sudden power loss, it happens. But in both cases, one must question the failover or lack thereof. It'll be interesting to see what the final conclusion is on why the backup generators failed. Tidbits.com noticed a pretty interesting announcement from Apple in the macOS version 10.15 release notes that's currently in beta. Under the deprecation notes for the release, it states, Scripting language runtime such as Python, Ruby, and Perl are included in macOS for compatibility with legacy software. Future versions of macOS won't include scripting language runtimes by default and might require you to install additional packages. If your software depends on scripting languages, it's recommended that you bundle the runtime within the app. It's unclear at this time what this will fully entail. Presumably, it's a warning that in future, those will no longer be supported within the OS. And this is a word of caution for developers that they're gonna have to include it with their products if they are leveraging those scripting languages. And hopefully, at least for some time in the future, these will just continue to execute as normal and those scripting languages will be supported somewhat within the operating system. Because if they just pull support entirely or pull them out of the operating system with very short notice, that could end up causing a lot of problems. This is actually sounds like something that containers could be used to solve for developers in the future, possibly. Tom Warren from The Verge reported on changes to the Windows 10 tablet experience, with previews showing the same desktop experience you see on a regular PC, but with extra spacing along the taskbar to make it friendlier for those touching the screen rather than using a mouse. Microsoft clarified that the current tablet mode that removes the taskbar and displays an optimized tablet mode will remain in future, but these changes are designed to be automatically enabled when you remove a keyboard on a device like a Surface Pro. So I guess if you have the desktop open on a Surface Pro and you're at that desktop with the taskbar and then you remove the keyboard, it should adjust the taskbar and allow you to navigate without your touchpad and without the keyboard more seamlessly. There's a new feature called XLOOKUP coming to Microsoft Excel. XLOOKUP, according to a CNBC report, is an upgrade feature to the current VLOOKUP in use today that, according to Microsoft, is actually the third most used function in Excel after sum and average. 
VLOOKUP has shipped in Excel since 1985. The V stands for vertical, a reference to the function's ability to retrieve information in vertical columns. A similar function called HLOOKUP works with data in horizontal views. VLOOKUP had some notable limitations, however. Results defaulted to an approximate match of what the user was looking for instead of the exact match. XLOOKUP will fix that. Also, VLOOKUP could only split out data that's to the right, not to the left of the reference column. So users would often have to rearrange their data in order to use the actual function. With XLOOKUP, users can draw on data that's to the left or the right, and it combines the VLOOKUP and HLOOKUP functionality into a single function. This will be available to Office 365 insiders first, and will be rolled out to other Office 365 users in the coming weeks. Personally, I get into Excel and just create pivot tables and do some very simple stuff. And this doesn't really mean all that much to me, but based on embedded tweets within the article, some of the more hardcore Excel users seem pretty excited, so I guess good for them. Ars Technica has reported that for the first time ever, the security exploit broker Zerodium is paying a higher price for zero-day attacks that target Android for what they're paying for comparable attacks on iOS. The article suggests this is because there are so many iOS exploits that they have actually been turning some away, some new ones away from their market, whereas there are actually less for Android due to both Google and Samsung security teams investing quite a lot in hardening security on the Android OS. At least that's what the article suggests. I was a little light on the security news last week. Well, this week there was a bit of a doozy. ZDNet has reported that hundreds of dental practice offices in the U.S. have been attacked with ransomware. The attack vertical in this case was through software the dental practices used. With dentists arriving into work on Monday morning, they actually found that they were locked out due to the ransomware being deployed via the software. The vendors of that software opted to pay the ransom, but some dental practices shared on Facebook that the decryptor they were provided either did not work or it didn't recover all of their data. This ransomware stuff is getting really, really scary. I saw this week that Jim Moyle shared a blog post from zenithit.blogpost.com that shows the prereqs are first steps for setting up Windows Virtual Desktop. I've personally referred to Christian Brinkhoff's pretty in-depth blog post that includes a step-by-step, end-to-end guide of setting up Windows Virtual Desktop in the past. This past weekend, I deployed WVD from scratch again, but this time using CloudJumper. And this will sound like an ad, but it's not. They aren't paying me. But seriously, if you're interested in WVD and have some monthly Azure credits to play with, sign up for the free CloudJumper subscription to do the setup. There's no PowerShell involved. There's very little interaction required from you. And like I said on the podcast before, they're offering it for free until January 2020. Earlier in the week, there were some rumblings that Flash was finally being put to bed, but it appears this is not quite the case yet. Microsoft's new Edge browser that is based on Chromium will disable Flash for all sites by default. 
that is pretty much the crux of what the announcement was that people were jumping on top of and making incorrect assumptions about. But there is still the saving grace that the current version of Edge, not the Chromium-based version, and Internet Explorer will continue to allow Flash, but only until December of 2020. So there is somewhat of an end, maybe not really an end, but less of a Flash open season because it will be restricted more by default in the more modern browsers. I guess say what you want about Steve Jobs, but he was right on that one. Is your Active Directory a complete mess? And do you need a genuine expert to come in and help you sort it out? Are you a Citrix shop and need help with your virtualization projects? If so, Carl Webster, one of the sharpest guys in the community, is now a free agent and is looking for work. His scripts have literally written the book for most Citrix environments in the world. A lot of consulting companies who go in and do Citrix migration projects or ground up environment setups really just run his scripts to generate their documentation that's their deliverable and put their own little stamps on it. Carl is a really great guy and he's sharp as a tack. It's a really, really rare opportunity for some lucky company or companies out there to grab hold of an amazing talent. So I'm not actually doing a hot job segment this week, but I am promoting that Carl happens to be looking for work now. So somebody should go out there and snap them up while they can. Master Packager version 19.5.1 is available with a couple of really interesting new features, including the ability to import ODBC data source directly from the machine. That'll make it very easy. And also Master Repackager support for ODBC data source and driver capturing. And if you're new to the podcast and you haven't heard any of the other episodes, I've talked about Master Packager a bit on some previous episodes, but their free version of the product is actually really incredible. They've got a repackager tool and can actually generate response transforms from the free tool itself. So you don't have to go for the upsell and purchase the enterprise licensing to use these enterprise type features, which is really, really cool. So you can check it out for yourself by downloading it for free. If you've used something like Orca or Instead in the past, which let's face it, even though I really like Instead, it hasn't been updated much recently. And Master Packager has been updated quite a bit and just keeps going from strength to strength. So maybe you should just go download this and have this as your quick edit tool or quick tool for viewing MSIs. This week, I learned about an event called the Concatenate Conference that aims to bring tech content and conferences for passionate developers that can't attend conferences worldwide due to visa denials or cost. So the event is or has been held in Nigeria in the past, and they are accepting event sponsors currently. Topics range from JavaScript frameworks to design systems, animation to performance. If you'd care to donate to help to continue to fund these events or sponsor them, I'll share a link with this episode under reference links for episode 88 on 5bytespodcast.com. And now the weekly webinar. 
This week's webinar is on how to automate security visibility for infrastructure as a service environments to reduce risk and satisfy regulatory standards. The webinar will be held on Thursday, September 12th from 7 p.m. British summertime to 8 p.m., which I believe is 11 a.m. to midday Pacific. In this live webinar, cybersecurity experts Carson Sweet and Holger Schulz will discuss technical factors and operational approaches for successfully achieving continuous automated risk visibility. During the webinar, they will discuss why achieving security and compliance visibility is critical to safely migrate to public cloud infrastructure, how infrastructure as a service environments create specific technical and operational needs that must be satisfied to successfully establish comprehensive ongoing risk visibility, and how the right automation coupled with a cloud-aligned issue discovery and resolution process can create a highly efficient and effective process for ensuring public cloud infrastructure is hardened against attacks and satisfies regulatory standards. So if you're interested in that and much more, make sure that you register for this webinar, which again is held on Thursday, September 12th. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Michael Niehaus posted an absolute blinder of a blog post on his personal blog, oofhours.com, which is out of hours. The blog post is titled, Geeking Out with UEFI. Michael has been an important figure on the Windows team for many years. He has an incredible deep knowledge of Windows, and as you might expect, his blog post leaves no stone unturned when it comes to UEFI. If you've run into issues booting before, or even if you haven't and you just wonder what is going on when you see your nice shiny wizard or loading screens, this is a great post for you. I know at least initially when UEFI was a new technology to those in the end user computing space or just virtualization space, there were a lot of questions and not that many resources or not that many answers out there. That's become less of an issue with a lot of vendors embracing UEFI and providing their own resources, but you're not going to find anything as comprehensive as Michael Niehaus's blog post. Be warned though, it is very deep and he says it's like level 300, which yeah, maybe, okay, but you're going to want to commit a lot of time to getting through this blog post because it is very, very detailed, but it's definitely worth reading. And that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.